Welcome to the ETAP Podcast, a service of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials. Each month, we'll provide information and insight into environmental issues important to state transportation officials. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. Today's ETAP Podcast will focus on transportation equity and environmental justice, Transportation systems are critical to people's ability to reach jobs, educational opportunities, health care, and a number of other goods and services. However, underserved and marginalized communities often lack transportation options that are accessible and affordable. On top of that, these same communities face an outsized share of negative environmental effects that can harm health and development. In its efforts to address these issues, the Minnesota Department of Transportation has earned national recognition for its Rethinking I-94 project. MnDOT began the project in 2016, working with communities negatively affected by the construction of I-94 in the 1960s to develop a new vision for the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. The ultimate goal of Rethinking I-94 is to reconnect neighborhoods, revitalize communities, and ensure residents have a meaningful voice in transportation decisions. We're joined by MnDOT Commissioner Margaret Anderson Kelleher, who's been leading the agency since 2019, as well as Gloria Jeff, who serves as the Livability Director of MnDOT's Rethinking I-94 project. Well, thank you both for joining me. Commissioner, you've been leading Minnesota DOT through a pandemic for over a year now. In fact, last time we spoke in June of 2020, it was just a few months into the pandemic. Could you tell us, first of all, what it's been like going through this period, and what are some of the challenges you and your agency are facing? Well, thanks so much for having me back again to be on the Ashto podcast, and it is a good time to get caught up here about what is happening in DOTs around the country. You know, Minnesota DOT, probably not unlike a lot of other DOTs, many of our folks who work with us have actually continued to report to their work location the entire time of the pandemic. And I want to acknowledge that we are doing the type of work that you really need to be at your work location. And so a lot of folks, even though at one time we were over 50% teleworking, we're now down to 30% of MnDOT employees continuing to telework as we begin to look to that time when we can return everyone to their work location safely in some way, whether it's a staggered days of the week or things like that. I think that some of our things that I'm so proud of that we were able to do, we kept our entire 2020 construction program on track and on budget. And we're really poised to move forward similarly this year with over 200 MnDOT projects statewide. And of course, then on top of that, you have counties and cities doing their projects. One of the big challenges uh, that we probably did not talk about a lot back in June of 2020 was snow and ice season. And clearly that goal for us was to not have any truck stations closed due to COVID. And you know what? I'm really proud. Our maintenance and operations team did a great job. They had several layers of backup plan, but the important part was they implemented a lot of prevention and mitigation tactics to be able to achieve that goal. 
We're still dealing with traffic volumes being a little bit down, but mostly people have returned to some form of commuting or errand running. So it's not quite as far down as we once saw it, 50 to 70% down. Now we're seeing about a 5 to 10% statewide on a given day in terms of traffic volumes. I think there's two other big areas. We did a lot of adaptation to new innovations. Our team has implemented and documented over 90 new innovations in the way we're doing our business. And we're now looking at the evaluation of those things, seeing what do employees really value and want to keep? What's made our work better? And in some cases, we're even doing some research projects on some of those innovations. But by far, the biggest thing in Minnesota has been the compounded, really hard work around COVID-19, pandemic, doing a number of things differently, and then facing racial issues in our state. The murder of George Floyd last May really began to, I think, elevate so many people's consciousness to the racial reckoning that needs to happen in our state and in our country. And of course, we have continued to have those opportunities to deal with racial reckoning, but it has really caused trauma for a lot of people in the organization. A lot of employees have been feeling that trauma every single day. And it has been a really challenging time for MnDOT BIPOC communities, as well as others who live in the communities where there has been a lot of work done on things around the trial. The visuals of uh, the Derek Chauvin trial meant that many Minnesotans were having to just see their communities in a very different visual way even, which can create the trauma and throw people back into really a state where there may be feeling like they need more time and time for themselves. And we have been very supportive of trying to work with our managers and supervisors to be aware of those moments. It can be quite exhausting to be in not only a global pandemic, but in an epidemic of racial reckoning in terms of realizing for those people who are not people of color, what their brothers and sisters who are BIPOC members feel and see every day. And then the other piece of it, I think that's really stressing people too, is climate because we have been talking about climate so much during the pandemic as things changed. And so those stressors, I think for lots of folks have been something that have been more difficult to just think about and really work with. I think we're, we're getting there but it's a challenge every single day. I think your response kind of leads into my next question. We're talking about transportation equity and environmental justice. Those are terms that we hear used frequently in the transportation industry. Can you give us a bit of background on those terms and what they mean, please? I have with me today Gloria Jeff, who is a real leader in MnDOT on a particular project that we've been working on, but also in the area of 
helping lead in the areas of transportation equity and environmental justice. And so let's talk about them and take them apart a bit in terms of the terminology. So environmental justice brings forward attention on the disproportional treatment and outcomes for communities of color and often low-income communities in the system of transportation that we have had. Environmental justice has a broader context than transportation, but in the case of transportation, environmental justice can be the evaluation, the monitoring, the work done around things like air pollution, noise pollution, the burdens that communities have had to face, and then being able to rectify that figure out the method and means to solve for the injustices that have been done to the community and the environment. And so I think that, you know, some people think environment and they're thinking about directly the water, the trees, the air. And what we think about in environmental justice is a little broader than that in terms of people. And so in Minnesota, you know, we are very aware that there are very striking disparities between race, geography, economic status. And we can fully say Minnesota is probably one of the best places in the country to grow up if you're a white child, if you're a child who is indigenous or black or brown, often your outcomes are much, much worse. And we need to change that. And so I think that when we get to transportation equity, equity is really that idea that we need to level up in places where we have not been able to provide good transportation systems for people, especially BIPOC communities. And let me just say one other thing about this that I think is striking. We have a group at the University of Minnesota called the Center for Accessibility, and they are studying the issues around transportation equity. And I think it's really important, this particular statistic. If you are a Minnesotan who lives in a community that does not have access to a car or transit in our metropolitan area, you have access to less than 10% of the jobs in the region. Let me just say that again. If you are a person who does not have access to a car or transit, you have access to less than 10% of the jobs in the region. Well, to me, that's a transportation equity issue right there. We need to fix that. I'm going to let Gloria continue on. Commissioner has really done an excellent job in outlining the issues. The idea that you don't have the ability to get to the places where you live, work, play, recreate, those become important. In looking at issues around equity, transportation equity in particular, it's not equality. It's not the idea that everybody gets the same thing in the same way. It may be, and I'm going to pick on the image that the USDOT uses of the three young people trying to see over a fence. The tallest child has no difficulty and requires no assistance. The middle person 
or child requires a little bit of assistance because they're right at the level of the fence. And then there's the third individual who needs a lot of help in order just to see over. And that's what transportation equity is about. It isn't, do I have a transit route that operates near my home? And there is another transit route that operates near where I work, but does it operate in times that I need? I grew up in an environment where it was less about commuting to downtown and more about getting to the shift at the factory. And so the issue is, does the bus come early enough for me to get to work? And does it continue to run when I get off of work to get me home? And so equity has to wrestle with those issues as well. We also recognize that equity is about more than just race and ethnic background. But where the most work needs to be done right now is in those areas. We do have challenges with respect to people with different abilities, people who perceive and act in the world in a different way. We do have issues around equity with respect to the multiple modes of transportation. In Minnesota, we have the opportunity to not only move people by transit and automobile, but we also move goods, but in a multiplicity of ways. We move goods along the Mississippi River. We move goods along railroad lines that operate throughout the United States. We have aviation systems. We serve as a hub for several of the airlines. And so when we're moving goods and products, we are looking at all modes. And so we have to look at how are we equitably making those available. So in looking at equity and transportation, yes, there is that issue of what are we doing to address issues of race, but we also have to address the issues of how do we move goods and materials as well to keep our economies going. Because at the end of the day, if our economic well-being isn't addressed, then we can't solve the problems associated with what happens to people. I'd like to dig a little deeper when we're talking about an equitable transportation system. What would you say are some of the key features of such a system? So I'll start and talk a little bit about what I think is a key part of having a truly equitable transportation system. And that is that there should be choices and options for the user of that transportation system that best meets that person or organization's needs. So the choice of how someone moves, how goods are transported, a little bit about what Gloria was just talking about. We also have a railroad system that's quite extensive in Minnesota, and it's important because of our agricultural and manufacturing background. We need to see if there are ways to enhance those systems so that we can have a better investment across the system in the choices that people are able to make. I mean, I just think that one of the key pieces for individuals is that, you know, we're a very car-centric society, and there's some reasons for that in terms of here in Minnesota where, you know, we don't have a totally built out transit system. We once had a streetcar system that actually a whole different chapter of our history that's fascinating about how that streetcar system was actually dismantled. 
And so what we need is we actually need to have a world where people can have choices, where they may not have to have two cars in a family. Maybe they don't even have to have one car in a family in the metropolitan area, for sure, in terms of being able to have a transit system that's connected or to be able to safely ride their bike to work. And there are a lot of winter bikers here in Minnesota. I know people don't always think, oh, biking in Minnesota in the winter, (laughs) but there are ways to do it. And then the other part of that is just being able to walk. And I think that, you know, as human beings, part of the equitable transportation system is making sure that we are working together with our local government partners, with community organizations to identify those routes where Actually, the walking is maybe as important as the roadway because for people to get to a transit stop, for people to get to another mobility hub, they actually need to have a safe route to walk on. And so equity for me is about choices. Equity for looking at transportation equity is about opportunities and not having only one answer be the answer that we tell everyone. I think the commissioner has really done an excellent job of outlining the elements associated with people movement and equity in terms of a a system in the future. One of the elements as we think about the future transportation system that's equitable is one where the transportation system moves goods in a way so that whether I live in a middle-income community or I live in a community of working folks, that the grocery stores can afford to be located so that I can get fresh produce. So that if I produce a raw material along the iron range in Minnesota, that it can be moved efficiently and with minimal cost to other parts of the United States and other parts of the state so that there is economic benefit to the people who live in my community. So it is about making sure that we have choices for people and how they move and when they move and where they move, as well as an equitable system that looks at how can we move products. And again, in this state, not only do we have railroads, but as I said, we've got the wonderful Mississippi River and all of the commerce that goes up and down the Mississippi River. And let's make sure that the equitable system of the future provides employment opportunity for folks to work along the Mississippi, but it also lets us move products and finished materials along that Mississippi in a way that keeps costs down. Let me switch gears just a little bit to talk a bit about the Rethinking I-94 project that's going on in Minnesota. Could you tell us a bit about what that project is and some of its goals? I'm going to have Gloria start this answer. Gloria has been with us working on Rethinking I-94 from, I believe, almost the start of the concept of the project of Rethinking I-94. So, Gloria? Thank you, Commissioner. Rethinking I-94, for me, as a transportation professional, is exciting. It's cutting edge. It's saying, let's look at what we did. And whether it's the city of St. Paul, the state of Minnesota, or pick your favorite urban environment in America, as the interstate was being constructed, as we were connecting places of consumption with places of production, we didn't always make good decisions in hindsight. And the vision of the world at those times were driven by how do we quickly move people from point A to point B, 
how do we take the opportunity to incorporate some of the elements of the war on poverty during the Johnson administration and the urban renewal programs. And we made some really bad decisions about where communities should be impacted. And because we were concerned with quickness in meeting schedules, we were not real sensitive to the human elements. And rethinking I-94 is an opportunity to come back and revisit some decisions that we made. The intent is not to undo the wrongs that may have been done in the 1960s, but really rather to focus on how do we learn from those mistakes and how do we move forward to create a restorative and reparative environment for the communities, whether it's the community of Rondo and St. Paul, or whether it's around the communities in the Cedar Riverside area in Minneapolis, where we have significant numbers of university students and immigrant populations. We have to take the opportunity to look at how do we lean forward in those areas. The Rethinking I-94 project is really focused around accomplishing three fundamental purposes. The first is to work in partnership with the community. It isn't enough that we as good engineers know what's best, but rather (laughs) that we work with those communities to reconnect the neighborhoods, revitalize communities that need it, and quite candidly reestablish, in some instances, that partnership, that sense of trust, that resilient component of neighborhoods so that we're not only looking at how we get people from A to B, but what happens along that facility or that transportation service in doing that. Our second kind of objective is to make sure that we enhance the safety, mobility, and access for folks within the metropolitan area, and that they do so with choices about the mode that they choose to operate. And then the third one is to establish, or in some instances, reestablish a sense of place, because neighborhoods aren't just a series of streets and alleyways where cars and trucks and move in and go forward. But there are places where people walk. I mean, I love to tell the story about the neighborhood I grew up in. You want that sense of place because it was a 30-minute walk to the grocery store. Now, it wasn't 30 minutes because it was that kind of distance. It was a two-block walk. It was 30 minutes because everybody had front porches. And that sense <laughs> of place had to do with the fact that Oh, let me talk to, oh, we just passed Miss so-and-so. She's out on the front porch. Let's have a conversation. So it might have been a 30-minute one-way walk, but it was the idea that you could walk, that sense of community, that sense of I know my neighbors, I want to keep in touch with them and know what's going on. It meant in the summertime that the kids sat on the porch when the streetlights came on, unless they got permission to go run up and down the streets because the adults (laughs) could see where they were and what they were doing. It's that kind of sense of place. And transportation plays a role in it in the context that do people know that it's a residential area, so I really ought not do more than 10 or 15 miles per hour? It's that. So those are the three purposes and kind of senses that we want to do. And partnership is critical because all of the answers don't lie within a Department of Transportation. They lie within city government, whether it's the public work folks that share our responsibilities for infrastructure, or it's the planning and policy folks, or it's the elected officials that allocate dollars. It is a true partnership that has to be in place. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish in the Rethinking I-94 project. 
We're going to follow all of the rules of engagement for the formal project development and planning process as mandated by the state of Minnesota and the federal government. But we're also running a parallel path that lets us look at the human focus, the human components of what really matters in those communities to get at issues like sense of place, to get at issues like connection, to get at issues like community vibrancy and activities. I just want to acknowledge that rethinking I-94, the corridor really between the two core downtowns of Minneapolis and St. Paul, the reason we need to rethink I-94 is because of the reasons that Gloria talked about, that this was a federal interstate highway project back when Minnesota DOT was actually a highway department, and that was our focus, was building those highways. It also follows the history of many other DOTs around the country where the poorest communities, the Black community, the Indigenous community, the Latin community were low in political power during that period of time and not seen on an equal basis with white members of the community. And therefore, the powers that could be, including the commissioner of the highway department, even the governor of the state, we have some pretty extraordinary pictures of the groundbreaking of I-94, where, you know, a lot of people who did not look like people from the community Mm -hmm. were standing there really quite happily putting the shovel in the ground And that shovel in the ground, as the mayor of St. Paul, Melvin Carter, likes to remind us, was his grandparents' wealth. It was their businesses. And so I think being able to really not only make amends for what has been done in the past to these communities, but enhance political power And the voice that people have is another part of this. And maybe that sounds really wild coming from the Department of Transportation, but I see it on that level that we are giving a voice to community members who have had their neighborhood driven through, over, around, and not seen as a vibrant community. We're really working hard to connect all of the different organizations and responsible parties to have the conversation and make action around things like housing and jobs. Now, that's not the DOT's line responsibility, but we have the power to convene people in unique ways, and we're going to do it, and I'm very excited about this. Taking this beyond the Minnesota borders to a national level, last fall, Ashto's board of directors, which Commissioner, you're a part of, unanimously passed a resolution that pledged to address issues relating to race, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the transportation industry. Now, I know this is something you're also addressing there in the Midwest. Why is multi-state collaboration important for making progress on transportation equity and environmental justice? So, Bernie, such an important question about the work that's been done by the ASHTO Board of Directors and by a number of the regional groups. In fact, the reason that we took action and could take action is because both WASHTO and SASHTO had already 
taken action on resolutions. And I did work on the drafting of our board resolution and was so, I guess, buoyed that we came around it as a board of directors and had a unanimous roll call vote for that resolution, which is a very strong resolution. Some of the other regional DOT groups had not been able to contemplate the question of whether they would want their own resolution. And so I've been appointed to lead the MASTO group. And it's really been an exciting group of people to lead. It has included a lot of both civil rights and diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals from our Midwest region. We are not only taking the opportunity to write the resolution that MASTO will most likely pass the MASTO board of directors at their next meeting, but we're doing a couple of other things. We're doing a survey of what is happening state by state in those MASTO states, what has been successful. And we're also doing a monthly now sharing out of those best practices that each state has come about. This is where the power of collaboration across the states is so important. I mean, the easy answer is we are all connected. It's one of the things that's so important about our transportation system is that we are connected across our borders. And so it makes no sense for Minnesota only to work on these issues if Wisconsin is not working on these issues or Iowa or North Dakota and South Dakota. It makes good sense that we are working together and really tackling as a transportation group of professionals the issues that we see today with race and racism today, but also acknowledging the past wrongs of the industry. Going beyond MASTO in the Midwest to all 50 states and beyond, what advice would you offer to state DOTs that want to ensure the transportation equity and environmental justice are at the center of their work? Well, I think that the key piece of this is equity has to come across all areas you're working in. So you have to be able to say, how do we both work on the developmental side for employees? So employees can recognize their own histories with race, their understanding of race and racial equity, of economics in their own state, and where that plays into inequity as well. You know, there's some key individual pieces. We have an executive inclusion council that includes the top leaders at MnDOT, about 35 people who are in key roles to be able to work together on not only our own developmental work, but the agency's developmental work and plan. We also have an equity lens tool that we use. The equity lens tool is important for our own governance and policy. So developing an equity lens, I think, is important. We're working on developing an equity lens right now for projects as well. And so this is important. We also have tremendous support from our governor, Our governor and lieutenant governor have made equity at the heart of what they've been doing their entire time in office. It, of course, has been heightened through the pandemic, and we see how race and poverty has affected people through 
the pandemic in Minnesota, as well as racial justice issues. I'd like to add a plug-in in one of my other capacities. I serve as the chair of the Transportation Researchers Board's Committee on Transportation Equity. And in that capacity, we are sponsoring a conference September 8th through the 10th. We are hoping it may be the very first in-person conference <laughs> to be held by TRB in the last 18 months. But if not, it will be virtual. And the focus of the conference is advancing transportation equity. And we're taking the approach of not only focusing on research that's been done, but in practical applications, in sharing information that state departments of transportation, metropolitan planning organizations, municipal entities have found in addressing the issue of transportation equity in very practical and implementable ways. We also will have a component of that conference that will include what I call boots on the ground folks, the neighborhood-based, the community-based organizations, not the national organizations, but those community-based organizations that day in and day out bring that issue of equity, bring in that issue of inclusion, bring in, as the commissioner has talked about, the ability to influence decisions that are being made on and about their communities. And so I, again, would encourage those 50 state departments of transportation plus the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico to send representatives from their organizations to call in, to be on the virtual platforms to learn because they're going to be provided with practical, implementable, how do we make this happen? and the opportunity for sharing. Well, I want to thank you both very much for being a part of our Ashto ETAP podcast. We've been speaking with MnDOT Commissioner Margaret Anderson Kelleher, as well as Gloria Jeff, who serves as the Livability Director of MnDOT's Rethinking I-94 Project. Thank you both for being part of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you.